710 ESPN presents The Experience, the Experience. with Lafern Cusack, where we go beyond the play and focus on athletes, fans, events, and the biggest issues that inspire and shape our lives. Here's the host of The Experience, Lafern Cusack. Lafern Cusack. What's your dad's name? Mike Ray. He played um, at USC and he played for the Raiders, Redskins, and Buccaneers. Oh, wow. For me personally, I kind of learned the value of like, look, if we skip these two or three things and save some money over here, I now have money for a vacation. You might have 10 Ferraris up front, but they might all be leased and you might be drowning in debt. David Ray, the Los Angeles financial planner with heart to help you reach your financial goals all while living a happier, healthier, and wealthier life. You know, if you're tired of feeling overwhelmed when looking at your investment statements or talking to your financial advisor, getting your financial house in order shouldn't be a chore you try to avoid at any cost. David Ray is here to help you feel more confident about your financial future. He's going to talk to us all about athletes' financial plans, or lack of, and what you can do as a fan to get your financial planning on the right track with a game plan that works. This is 710 AM ESPN. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with David Ray, president, founder of DRM Wealth Management. For more information, you could log on to his website at davidrayfp.com. That's davidrayfp.com. This information is for informational purposes only. And it's not to offer buy or sell or solicitation of any kind for you to buy or sell. Advisory services provided by DRM Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. David, I'm thrilled to have you here to talk about financial planning. And you have a rich background in sports and financial planning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So, I'm a, I'm a certified financial planner. I've had my own firm uh, for about three years now, but I've been helping individual clients since 2003. So a good amount of time. And one of the things that I think kind of brings an insight for me and it makes my purview of financial planning a little interesting is I think I mentioned earlier, my dad played in the NFL. So I really get to see the difference between people who made good life choices uh, with their money and people who maybe didn't make the best choices with their money. Because I think in the NFL with such a short career, people really see the effects of the choices they made financially, where in day-to-day life, you may think your neighbor is so rich and they're rolling in dough, but they're probably drowning in credit card debt and it won't necessarily be a problem until they try and retire or have a hiccup like a job loss or I don't know, right now, like a pandemic and everyone's probably having a little financial stress. So (laughs) I just really have been able to see some of this stuff fast forwarded. And as a financial planner working with people, I really get to see a wide variety of people's finances. And it doesn't always translate from what you see. You know, the person that comes in dressed really well with a fancy car and a fancy house 
isn't always the richest person. It may be, you know, the millionaire next door might be the person driving a Honda Civic and mm-hmm. maybe shopping at Ross, right. <laughs> you know, for discount clothes. And you might be surprised at how much money they have in uh, their bank or their investments compared to the person driving maybe a, a Range Rover. If we're talking athletes, uh, the cars might get a little more glamorous, you know, a, you might have 10 Ferraris out front, but they might all be leased and you might be drowning in debt. So it may not be as fabulous as it seems. Yes. Yeah. And and I talk about that a lot on the show, how a lot of the young athletes that get into uh, professional sports, they don't have the financial um, knowledge to make a great contract or create a great contract or to know how to invest properly or know how to handle their money. And sometimes a lot of them have entourages around them and they, you know, pay for everything. And it's just financial literacy just isn't there. How did you go about being financially literate? Well, the good news is I kind of grew up in that environment that you're talking about there with, you know, there were people, entourages, there was lots of money coming in, there was lots of money going out, there was some uncertainty with the job. I mean, my dad played for 12 years, uh, Mike Gray, and he played for six different teams or six different stints in 12 years. So there was a lot of job change, a lot Mm -hmm. of movement, but you really, you do have to learn to stretch dollars. And one of the things that I learned as a kid is because by the time I really was conscious about money, my dad had retired from a 12-year career. So, you know, I was just in kindergarten around that time. So, you know, I didn't really know much. Most of us in kindergarten really probably are counting our pennies. Um, I don't know if kids today, you know, there's a coin shortage going on. So I don't know if kids (laughs) these days really have their piggy banks and have pennies and nickels and dimes. But I'm old enough where as a kid, it was like, oh, here's, I found a quarter. I'm so excited. Right, right. And, you know, I really learned to stretch the dollar. And because we kind of grew up in a, a, a weird financial state where we did, he retired and we had money, but we didn't necessarily have more money. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this wasn't a replaceable thing where I think some of your, your listeners here who maybe have a normal job, you're like, I get a paycheck every two weeks. If I blow through that paycheck, there's another check coming in two weeks. You know, everything will be fine if I just, you know, stick to spending every penny I have. Where I kind of grew up in a household and many athletes are in this kind of scenario is they'd made most of the money that they were probably going to make in their career. I mean, my dad and mom worked beyond his his career, but we kind of had this pot of money that had to last. So I just really kind of had a, a, it's a different way of looking at it when you're like, we have money, we're not poor, but we can't spend the money the way, you know, it's Mm -hmm. sitting there, we can't spend it. So, you know, we had to learn to dole it out. And I really, through that, really learned kind of the value of a dollar in a way that I think the average person in America just doesn't learn. I mean, I think most people in America just kind of go, okay, I get a paycheck, I can keep spending. Or, you know, I've definitely talked to people over the years and say, oh, it doesn't matter. I I got more room on that credit card. And they go, oh my God, I could never live like that. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm aware of, I don't ever carry credit card debt. I am a financial planner, but beyond that, personally, I just hate credit card debt outside of like using them for points and miles, which I'm a huge fan of. But you really, you learn to maybe put things off. And, you know, I think for me personally, I kind of learned the value of like, look, if we skip these two or three things and save some money over here, I now have money for a vacation, or I now have money to buy a house or do things that help make me richer in life. And then also richer in my bank account. So let's be honest, it, it does, it does work out well. Whereas if you're on the flip side of that, and many athletes come out of this, unfortunately in this, in this kind of state, they'll make all this money they have this big mortgage, they have these car leases, they have their entourage that, you know, are, 
are not going to care that you're retired or not getting that paycheck anymore. They want their, well, they want to keep having fun, I guess is the probably the simple, mm-hmm. glamorous answer. But you need to translate that into things that are going to make you money, things that are going to help you build wealth over time. And that's just really the gap that I think the average person has beyond athletes. So many of us know how to get a job and be successful and maybe get a raise and, you know, make money. We just don't know how to take that income and figure out how to save money and how to invest money and how to build wealth over time. And that's where someone like me kind of comes in or educating yourself more on personal finance can really help you get ahead. The sooner you get started, the more money you'll be able to accumulate over time with the less effort. But David, how did your parents speak to you so you were able to learn that you can't or or how to spend? Yeah, you know, it, it kind of leading by example, you know, I think we're, there was, I would say from a lot of, a lot of it was just kind of like, we're going to the sale rack, <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're shopping for clothes, we're back to school clothes, I know. Some of my neighbors probably went to the mall and bought whatever they wanted at whatever fancy store. I did not. (laughs) And there are some advantages to going to the mall and buying exactly what you want or whatever store and getting the clothes you want. And there's probably some disadvantages to shopping at the sale rack. (laughs) But um, really, as someone, you know, who's long, no longer an elementary school kid, I really probably doesn't really matter that much that I didn't have designer clothes in second grade. I, I'm sure there, there are some people who might disagree with me, some fashionistas listening here, but <laughs> um, I'm much happier having, you know, money for college or not having student loans and uh, yeah. not dressing as well as second grade. And, and now I can dress well and I can walk into whatever store I want and buy clothes. So there is some of that. And some of it was probably things just letting me know that, you know, there's a reason we're not doing some of the things that other people around are doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I also became aware, I think my parents were very aware of money. So I kind of became aware of some of the, it's probably a gossip, but let's just be real. I'm not throwing anyone's actual names out there, but there's a household that has Range Rovers and they were taking their fabulous vacations. They were doing all this stuff. And then their house got foreclosed on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so like things you wouldn't necessarily know in elementary school, but my parents let me know these things, you know, they seem like the rich, cool family and then they weren't. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to have to move because we can't afford our house. And I think, you know, it's not always that stark, but I'm pretty sure most kids would understand like, Ooh, if I spend too much money, we might lose our house or I won't have a place to live. Um, mm-hmm pretty serious stuff there. And then as we just went on, they did have a financial advisor that was giving them advice. And I kind of got to meet them and over the years learn tidbits from them. Unfortunately, it was, you know, 80s and 90s and probably learned a lot more bad things from them of not what not to do or Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, where you need to make sure you get better advice. Um, But things have gotten a lot better uh, financial advice wise since then (laughs) for for the better. So my son is seven years old and I'm trying to teach him about money, what me and my husband were trying to teach him about money. Are you familiar with Fortnite, the video game? I'm not going to pretend I'm up on that. Well, <laughs> video games in general. I'm not I'm yeah. not up on it either. I'm trying to, but it just goes so fast. I just yes. I can't I cannot comprehend. So, um But I'm sure by the time this comes out from when we tape it to a few days later when it comes out, I'm sure the kids will have some new game that they play <laughs> and us also. <laughs> so, there's these things called I believe it's called skins where I mean, I, I, I feel like it's like a big racket because it's like you're buying skins for your avatar. 
Yeah. You're literally buying something that you're never going to touch, right? Like you're never going to have in your hands. (laughs) And so my son is like, mom, can I buy... um, such and such, whatever it, yeah. is, it is. I don't even know the words that are coming out of his mouth. But I'm like, how much is it? He's like, nine ninety nine. I said, okay, so it's ten dollars. Yes. Um, okay. Well, you'll you will have to do this. Like, you'll have to sweep the floor, or you know, how are you going to earn that? And then talking about jars, he has this big jar of coins that we've you know loaded it up over the years for him and he goes mom I have the money right here I can pay you now and get it I'm like okay sit down and count out ten dollars for me and he did it it took him a half an hour but he did it (laughs) you know and then you know we talk about the internet because video games are on the internet he's like yeah mom why is the why is the internet buffering I was like well Davey I only have this amount amount of bandwidth on on the internet and yeah. we are using this and the internet cost $74 he goes $74 yes <laughs> he goes no wonder you work so much and I'm like yes Davey yes <laughs> yes you got it <laughs> you, know? you got it that's for the internet <laughs> right so I love what you're doing there I mean I love that you're giving him just really seeing the value of the of what those that $10 means because I think it's so easy to just be like oh it's $10 mm-hmm. but if we never put a value to it or what they maybe how he had to save those coins or if he has chores or, uh, you know, even for bigger items, if it, you know, 10 bucks may not seem like a big deal, but if they were maybe buying the console of hundreds of dollars, I had a budget for my birthday and Christmas, and I knew, like, okay, if I wanted to get something, like, I could get $100 or whatever it was for Christmas. Well, if I wanted a $200 thing, I had to save, you know, two holidays, or I had to get money from elsewhere, and, you know, they had me work and do things to save up money and to build it. So I really understood when I bought something, one, I knew that I wanted it. Cause mm-hmm. It's very easy to go, ooh, that looks cool. I want to buy that. And you go, you know, I'm sure there's some, some things in those games or those games that you've bought that they played a zillion hours for. <laughs> and there's probably games that you're like, I have to have it. I have to have this game. We've all seen kids throwing fits in the store or well, <laughs> not so much downloading. It's a little different now. I'm picturing a few years ago when you went to the store to buy something. Um, obviously not right not right now, but, you know, downloading it. But you yeah. can picture some other parent has a kid throwing a fit. Like, I have to have this game. I'll die if I don't have this game. Yeah. And then they probably play it once. And, you know, yeah. if I pay 10 bucks and they get uh, hours of enjoyment, it's probably worth it. You know? like, yes. But if you if you paid even a dollar and you never use it, it's a waste. Yeah. So, you know, you want to have that instilling there. And you also, it's some, I would maybe add a little touch there of like, you know, when he's counting the $10 out of the jar, let him know like, oh, you know, maybe how much left is there? Or is there, you know, for the next time he wants to do it. So he's kind of seeing like that $10 left that jar that he saved up for. And it may have taken months. It may have taken uh-huh. years. It may have taken a week. So that he's seeing like, oh, wait, if I, if I do three things of $10, I'm out of coins. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take me to get the next one? You know, right. that's where some of these building the habits and building the lessons because let's be realistic if you just sit down your kid with your kid and go i'm going to teach you about personal finance (laughs) good luck (laughs) you know i I know people hire me so they don't have to deal with this stuff and i know they want to if they could they would just be like come to my house and look around and find all my finance stuff and make it perfect for me like and i love i wish i could well i don't really want to go through anyone's house but i wish i could just make it so simple on them 
but you do have to participate. You know, you do have to talk about, you know, what your goals are. And, you know, with your kids, you might go, okay, well, if you, this jar is for, if it was for something else, you might want to, you know, bring it back to, you know, this was your jar to save up for, you know, a bike or, you know, something else or the, the really expensive game. If you take the $10 out now, it means it's going to take longer to get to the game. And, you know, I think you do have to leave it up to the kids. Sometimes they will make the choice of, now, I want it now. <laughs> um, some kids will wait. I think I was the kid who waited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. My brother was the kid who would have it now. He yeah. would be like, I have $8. Give me a, give me a, give me a, no, it's $10. But I'm pretty sure when you go to Fortnite, if you try and give them $8, they're not going to give you the skin. <laughs> right. So um, I have not played the game. Don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think, you know, there's no credit, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> you have to pay cash. I know. I'm, I'm just wondering. I, and do you know what else they do? So there's these gamers and people, People pay the gamers to keep playing. Isn't that something? So, you know, I don't want to, you know, judge anyone's interests or likes. I'm sure there's things like I do that people think are nuts. Like I like to ride a bike hundreds of miles and people think I'm nuts for that. No, I I, I don't don't want to camp. So people like to camp. Good for them. (laughs) But yeah, I'm not sure I would pay someone to play a video game. But for me, I, but I didn't understand it until my son was like sitting there watching, trying to figure out how the person does it, and I was like, "Oh, that's why." And and these people are—they have a lot of skills. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like my mind doesn't work like that. But th- there is a lot of gamers that are making a lot of money just playing video games, and people giving them coins or money or whatever. <laughs> I think that's great, but, you know, it does make your parenting harder because I know, again, probably, I don't know where we are age-wise here, but, you know, when I was a kid, they were like, you're new, you know, you're wasting your life playing video games, you know, you can't, you can't make a living doing this, like, there was no, yeah. with Nintendo and Sega, there was no thought that I was going to go, you know, someone's going to go be a developer of video games, yes. and now there's actually kids that are, like, making more than their parents while yes. they're 14 or 15, they're making more than their parents playing video games or traveling the world, well, pre-COVID traveling the world, <laughs> playing in these contests. And they're like, yeah, I just bought my mom. I mean, I literally met a kid, but like I bought my mom a Tesla. And I'm like, what? Oh <laughs> what, what did I just miss? Like, I don't know who you are and why are you telling me this? But it was just like at a party. And I was like, this is not what I thought. I just thought it was funny that mom brought her kid to this 60th birthday party. <laughs> right. so, you know, it, it is an amazing world. And with YouTube and with, uh, just the internet. Kids can start businesses and make crazy amounts of money, and you know that's that's an amazing opportunity. Things that I don't think I could have done. Well, you know, yeah, I don't think it being a twelve-year-old or fourteen-year-old pro pro video gamer was really a thing in the nineties. I could be wrong, <laughs> right? But when you see when you see athletes go into you know playing professional sports and other things, do you do you? Do you have the eye that says, oh, this person can make money this way or invest this way? Um, Like, for instance, now college players are getting money for, you know, being on video games or having their representation, you know, uh, on on games and et cetera. Absolutely. There's so many things that you can do with just even the most basic little bit of help. And I think when I've worked with athletes or I've worked with people who are in the public eye, like um, actors and entertainers, some half of my job is to kind of be the person that gives them permission to say no <laughs> to, mm. to giving all that money out. Mm. I also kind of occasionally help them figure out 
keeping more of their money. Um, beyond that is from taxation. Legally, there's a lot of ways you can be strategic with your money to help structure your contract, structure how you get paid, you know, different things like that that help you keep more of the money you're making because one of the problems also with being an athlete, when you make a ton of money, you get to pay a ton of taxes. And I know everyone sees these huge contracts that these people, these players sign. You know, you might, they might be earning 10 or 20 or $30 million a year and you go, how could that money be gone? Mm -hmm. Well, you pay an agent, you pay a manager, you pay the taxes, you pay this, that, this and that. All of a sudden, a lot of a lot of that money is gone. Right. <laughs> you're not getting you're not getting ten or twenty million dollars a year. You're getting three or four or five, maybe, depending on how you how it's structured and how you're handling it. And then you live, and mm-hmm. then you have a few people hanging on. It's still amazing amounts of money, but also you know the average football player in the NFL is what three or four years they're playing. There mm-hmm. are obviously Tom Brady, who's you know seven thousand years old or whatever, he is still playing. Um, you know, he's mm-hmm. going to have a tough time <laughs> playing <laughs> in Tampa. That move down there, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. But good luck. Um, you know, th- that's a rarity. Most players are done in their, you know, late 20s. And that money has to last for decades upon decades. And we know that it's tough for people to live on retirement money when they retire at 65 or 70 to make it last till they pass away. Mm -hmm. If you're starting in your 20s and you're used to driving Ferraris or your friends are driving Ferraris, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw that out there. Not everyone's buying Ferraris in the NFL and NBA, but there are a lot of people there. You also probably still have, you know, you're not always retiring on your own terms when you're an athlete. Not that everyone else retires on their own terms either. But, you know, when you're 65, you have a better, a little better sense of retirement coming than I'm 27 and, you know, this is my last season playing. It's usually not a choice retirement for vast majority of athletes. It's no one hired me again right. <laughs> or I got, I got cut, which you can still have an amazing career, make a ton of money, but eventually someone else is probably going to make the choice for the end of your career or you're going to have a life-altering illness, uh, illness, injury, which, you know, you can lose a knee real, or, you know, have a knee injury really easy. They're very common. So there are a lot of people who just have to deal with one, a, a life change, retiring, and probably an injury. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also an identity thing for people. You know, when you're a pro athlete, you've dedicated your life, you know, especially today. You don't just show up. I, I don't care how talented your genes you know, if you're seven five, you know you probably can maybe make it into the NBA without working as hard as maybe the six foot person. But you know, you're still going to have to have some skills to play. I don't care how tall you are. Right, <laughs> so, right. you know, you don't just show up and you're you're dedicating your life to this and you're giving up other things in your life. And there is a lot of uh, you know spending to soothe your emotions mm-hmm. um, after people retire. Cause you still want to be the, that guy that's, that's killing it and it's doing well. And then you also have your friends that are playing and you still want to be as cool as them. <laughs> and yeah. they're, they're still making that 10 or $20 million a year or whatever, you know, they're, they're millions of dollars a year. And, and just to be clear, while I'm throwing out the big numbers, those are the people you're going to hear about the stars, you know, the league minimums are, you know, still great salaries by all stretches, but a lot of these people might be making three, four hundred thousand dollars a year, yeah. and that's if they play the whole season. And by no means am I saying that's not a great income, so don't don't take that the wrong way. But if you're working for four years, that's a lot less than the average American makes working throughout their career. Granted, it takes the average person, you know, forty years of working or yeah. so to, you know, make a two two million bucks at fifty thousand a year is kind of the, the rough average. 
Really? <laughs> so think about it. If you work 40 years and the average American makes something in like the 50,000 range, just there's obviously people higher and people lower. Mm-hmm. That's like 2 million bucks in 40 years that you've made. So, you know, it's a big number and people like, people don't realize that when you really add it all up. And fortunately, there are a lot of people here. I'm in LA. There's a, a lot of people making a lot more money. If you really add it up, people are making, you know, an average, not average person, but a successful person in a nice corporate career gets you getting into six figures could easily make four or five, six million dollars a year if, or in their career, if not way more than that over their career when you really look at say, 40 years of working. It really does add up. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to, to save a small percentage of that, maybe 10 to 15 percent, if you're you know, and put it in like a retirement account, like a 401k, if you get a, a employer match and let it grow, it's very easy to become a millionaire or a multimillionaire. I say it's easy because it seems simple to me and it's, it's something I help my clients do, but very few people actually take that step and do it. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, they maybe wait till they're 40 or 50 or 60 to start saving or they save way less than they should be saving or they run up debt or they buy a boat. I don't have anything against boats. I just know that they're Buying them is not the base, biggest expense. It's keeping them. Yes. <laughs> so. I, uh, I think it was Eartha Kitt was saying her boat costs more than a mortgage on the house, like docking it. Like it's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, because I mean, I've definitely talked people out of buying a boat because they're like, it's not that expensive. I just paid this to get it or it's used. Someone bought it for a hundred. They're willing to sell it to me for 50. And I'm like, that sounds great. But where are you going to put it? How are you going to get it there? How are you going to gas it up? How are you going to, you know, do all this stuff? And Eartha, I'm sure, is right on on that. It is, it is expensive, and and there's many of both that are are more than houses. Yes. <laughs> so let's be real. Well, David, <laughs> uh, I know we're talking about people with a lot of money, but during this pandemic, I've realized how many people don't really have money and how many people live paycheck to paycheck. And you're talking about not putting things on credit cards. I know a lot of people who on a monthly basis have to put stuff on credit cards because their checks don't, you know, match what is going out. How do you adjust that? Well, and I think the pandemic is really highlighting some of the choices people are making financially. And there's Mm -hmm. definitely a huge amount of Americans who are just underpaid. You know, if you're making minimum wages, I just don't see how you're going (laughs) to pay bills. Right. Or have a a live or live in an apartment. You know, they're saying that people that have minute or get paid minimum wage, they can't even afford, you know, the rent. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I think if you live, if you're making minimum wage, probably your entire paycheck would go to like the average one bedroom in most most cities. Mm-hmm. Like that's gone, and that's probably not the nice one. And so you're having either roommates or you're running up debt, or there's just no way. And that's not even accounting for if you do have student loans or if you're starting with credit card debt. Because the thing with credit card debt is it kind of starts small, and you're like, oh, it's one month, or I had to do it. The car broke down, or I got a flat tire, or you know, the kids needed something. Mm-hmm. Well, then all of a sudden you've got $1,000 on the credit card. Then you've got 10000 All of a sudden you're spending thousands of dollars mm-hmm. per year just paying the interest for nothing new. <laughs> you know, yes. If you don't buy anything else, you're going to be spending so much money on that debt. And that's what we really want to try to avoid or get people out of. And then right now with the pandemic, there are a lot of people who were probably actually doing really well with salary or income or could make, them, make their paycheck, cover their expenses. But now they're out of work or mm-hmm. half of that or, you know, half of the couple is out of work or the kids are now at home 
And to keep your sanity, you are giving them that $10 repeatedly for that video game that we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. <laughs> so it is really tough. You do sometimes have to make tough choices. I mean, I've, I've, when I've gone out and spoke to people, there are times when you're like, this rent, you just, your budget's never going to balance. It's, you know, a lot of times you'll hear personal finance people like, oh, you're going to Starbucks too much, or you're eating avocado toast was a funny one that went around. <laughs> it was like, you know, yes. it's the avocado toast is why we're all broke. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, that's just kind of like the final, the final straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like, if your rent is 50 or 60% of your income, there's no way the rest is going to balance out. You know, you make a hundred percent, you know, and you have to pay taxes, even in the lower, uh, lower incomes, you're still paying some taxes, even if it's just a social security, you know, you're going to want to eat, you know, I'm a fan of health insurance because <laughs> I like to be healthy. Yeah. Like there's just things, you know, clothes, even if you're super cheap and you're going to the thrift store, like they still cost money. Like, yes. You know, I'm, I, I'll be all, I'm all for being frugal, but I don't think I want to buy like used underwear or socks. <laughs> I, I draw the limit there, you know, go on Amazon and find a good deal maybe, but right. like clearance rack and five with it, you know, use, use certain things are just not going to work. So you know, you're going to need electricity. You need to find a way to live um, in a house that's, that's either it fits in your budget or you need to find a way to make more money. And unfortunately, right now, we're just in a position where millions of Americans just don't have a lot of opportunity to really jump their, their incomes. Um, so if you're talking to your kids and they say they don't want to go to college, unless they're that professional gamer, let's, <laughs> let's try and get an education. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I do think it's, it's important, especially for parents, to really help them through with the student loan debt. I, I talked to so many people who just really didn't understand what they were signing when they went to college. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make fun of ask, underwater basket weaving degrees, but you probably shouldn't take on three hundred or $400,000 of, of student loan debt if you're going to have a career that doesn't exist or doesn't right. pay. Right, right. And I mean that with all the love, but I just I know I've seen these people struggling and they want to follow their passion or do careers that they love. And it's just not possible to, you know, get their foot in the door if they're going to make forty or fifty thousand, and they're going to have twenty thousand in student loan payments a year. You know, those types of things. So mm-hmm. you really want to try to avoid that. And then, you know, when I was younger and I was not making the money I was like right after college, I had roommates, and it's you know not always going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. But that cut, you know, a two bedroom apartment with two people is way less than a one bed, you know, two one bedrooms, and which also meant the cable and the Netflix and the utilities were all halved. So that was a huge money saver for me until my income grew. Um, I knew that can work for a lot of people, especially single people. Not, not great right now in the time of COVID. So mm-hmm. uh, we all want our space, but it's just, you know, it, it is something to think about and, and really be careful about letting that credit card debt spiral because it, it is so easy to just have it get out of hand. And, you know, especially if you are working and still making, you know, the income that you're expecting to make and you're getting paid. If you're racking a credit card down on a month-to-month basis, it's just going to get worse. And if you don't nip it in the butt, it's, it's going to eat up your entire budget. I mean, I've definitely seen people who are going through big problems once they lost a job. And you're like, oh, look, your credit card minimum payment is like 90% of your unemployment check. Yay. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, and I don't want to be that person to scare you. But, you know, I want to keep my house. You know, I want yeah. to be able to pay for it. I have an emergency fund. I have my mortgage payment funds and all that stuff. And, you know, yes, I'm a financial planner and I love this stuff and I do it every day. But, you know, these are habits that I do personally, not just because of what I do professionally. And, you know, we can all find ways to save money. I know it's a lot tougher the less you make, but you do need to make choices based on, on what you're making. 
bringing in some light. This is ESPN. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with David Ray. He's a certified financial planner, and he's getting the game plan together for us to have a healthy and stress-free financial future. David, so with all this financial strife going on, and you know, we talked about how athletes go in and they don't know how to you know, plan their money and all that, and me talking to my son about money, there was a time where people thought it was just plain rude to talk about money. And because I was thinking, you know, where, how did we get to this point where so many people are in debt, don't have a financial plan, don't, don't have a reserve, don't, you know, aren't investing their money anywhere. It's just an uncomfortable feeling to talk about money. Do you agree? I definitely agree. I mean, I, I think I'd probably annoy the heck out of everyone around me and my friends because I'm totally <laughs> fine talking about money. But I do know that people don't like to talk about it. Even when people come in to sit down with me and do a financial planning consultation, they're still like, can I talk about this? I'm like, oh, this is, you know, like, I'm like your therapist. You can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> you know, like, it's confidential. Um, but Back, you know, for maybe our grandparents or, you know, a few generations ago, they didn't really have to think about saving money. You know, if you, if your great grand or your grandparents, you know, fought in the war and came home and they got a job, they probably had a pension. So, if they, you know, they worked, you worked your 40 years, you retired, you know, you might not be super rich, but you're going to have a nice, a nice retirement. You probably wouldn't live that long anyway, so the money didn't have to last and you're, you're set. Now we have two sides of it. We do have that wages for the average worker have not kept up with inflation. So the cost of living has just made it harder and harder every year for the average person to really get ahead financially. Mm-hmm. And then we just really haven't seen, we're going to see it in the next few years. We're going to see the baby boomers struggle in retirement. If they're going to retire or, or they're feeling to retire and you're going to see many of them were not prepared at all, or they're not as prepared as they thought. And they're going to be relying on their kids who are probably struggling financially mm-hmm. to help them out. So, you know, mom doesn't have to live on your couch or dad doesn't have to live on your couch or mom or dad don't starve in their 70s and 80s because they probably have money for a few years and then they'll have to live on Social Security. And by the way, the average Social Security check right now is like twelve hundred and something dollars uh, per month, which, mm-hmm. again, not a small. I mean, it's nice if, if someone handed me twelve hundred dollars, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. But if I had to live on twelve hundred dollars, I'm pretty sure most of us would not be, pay, be able to pay our rent. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, you do need to have money beyond Social Security. And the thing is, the way that people right now can save for retirement is pretty much on their shoulders. It's like maybe a four hundred one k at work if you have one, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA if you're just you know if you're just a W two regular employed person. Well, you have to take steps to do that. You have to go figure out how much to save. You have to put the money in. And that's just a step too far for so many people, or they don't do it today. There's always an excuse to do it later. And all of a sudden you're, you know, I just had a kid. I'll do it when the kids are out of college. Well, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, a long ways away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you do really need to find ways to start saving the money yourself because I I would love to blame it on someone else. And it, it is probably a big part of the problem, which is the way our country is set up and capitalism society. That's the society we live in. So, you know, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. No one's going to help us out here. I'd love that we could just buy a lottery ticket, you know, at 65 cents, <laughs> one dollar and be a billionaire. Right. Um, I'm hoping, I'm still, I said this a lot, I really hope someone proves me wrong, like on their 65th birthday, goes in and buys, you know, <laughs> one, one ticket for a dollar and wins. 
but that's not really a great plan because the odds are that's not going to be you. Right. <laughs> the odds are against us <laughs> when it comes to that. That's great. Um, but, you know, the, to your point, though, no matter how much money you make, there's a lot of people I think have confused wealth, building wealth with income. And income can go away. And if you spend every penny you make, it doesn't matter how big your income. It doesn't matter how big your salary. And we're seeing it with the athletes. It's, even if they're making $50 million a year, they can be broke in five years. They mm-hmm. can be broke when that income goes away. And it's the same thing for every other person listening to this. When your job stops, will you be able to eat for a little while? You know, especially the younger you are, it might just be a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be a year. But could you retire on that? Could you live for a few years? Or are you going to be like, oh, my God, if that next paycheck doesn't come in or if I get a pay decrease or I don't get my bonus, am I going to be homeless? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able to eat or is my credit card maxed? You don't ever want to be in that position. I mean, that's just terrible. Yeah. And speaking of that, like when we had the crash back before this one, <laughs> um, <laughs> there were a lot of families that, you know, had their house, two car garage, that their their life was just taken away from them, all their money. And it had nothing to do with them. It was like maybe the company did something, you know, and they ended out on the street. That's, you know, we have a lot of homeless families that are out on the street and, and, and it had nothing to do with their financial agility. It had to do with what a company did or, you know, a bank did and they lost everything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything you watch, every ad you see is is meant to try and get you to buy something and spend money. And, you know, the people that you think probably have the most glamorous life, you know, especially with social media now, it's very easy to see what everyone else is doing or you think they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes you want to spend money. And you you might have just gotten back from a vacation. If, you know, we were talking six months ago before when we could take a vacation. And then you come back and it's been a week since you've been back from Hawaii or something. And then you see someone else is there now and you're like, oh, I wish I could take a vacation. It's so easy to get sucked into wanting to keep up with your neighbors, to keep up with the Joneses. And even if you're doing amazing and you're doing just as much as them, it just seems like everyone else is having more fun and a more fabulous life. And it's it's really probably not the case. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. And you you talked about, you know, you see people on Instagram posting pictures of their kids with in Gucci and stuff. And I was like, I saw this one Instagram person doing that. And I was like, wait a second. Don't you know that kid is going to outgrow that Gucci thing in two weeks? Or <laughs> I, I find that nuts. But that's, that's yeah. <laughs> There's like, no way. Kids grow so fast. And the shoes, shoes for kids are like $45 and up. For for Ooh. shoes that they're only going to be in for a couple months, my son didn't even get into his shoes before he grew out of it one, oh day, my one God. time. And, and it's it it blew my mind. I I say to other people now, if they're having kids, you have to put in a shoe budget because you're going to constantly constantly <laughs> be buying shoes. The kids are expensive, so my financial <laughs> advisors don't have them. <laughs> so expensive. <laughs> So expensive. Oh, and it never ends. You don't realize how much that stuff can add up. And you can go crazy if you want. Yes, I I personally don't think I own any Gucci. Um, I definitely don't <laughs> have Gucci shoes. Um, I can afford them. I don't want them. Um, yes. If Gucci's listening, they want to send me some, I'll take them. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's that. But to buy them for kids, maybe that are little, I, 
I, I'm going to have some challenges with that. And, and, and just to be clear, as when I am working with clients as a financial planner, if you're saving your money and you've got your emergency fund and you're on track for retirement and, you know, you've got the money for your financial goals, the rest is yours. So, you know, if you want to buy your kids different Gucci shoes for every day of the week and you can afford it, by all means. Yeah. But if it's going on a credit card and, you know, you're worried about your next paycheck, uh, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. <laughs> or find someone who else was dumb enough to buy those shoes and borrow them for a photo, just like everyone else does on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know this guy that poses in front of these fantastic cars. It's not his, but, you know, it looks like his. <laughs> it does look like his. And, you know, oh, my God, that's hilarious. Or just green screen it. I mean, you know, you've got a tech-savvy kid at home. They can Photoshop you in it, you know. Eiffel Tower exactly. and Greek Isles and we're, you know, at the party with, I don't know, the Kardashians or exactly. something. Well, David, can you talk about, you know, the, the game plan for a financial future? So on your website, which is David Ray, R-A-E-F-P dot com, you have the big seven pieces to upping your financial planning game plan. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the number one thing for people to start with, just because we're, you know, we're here on a call or a podcast, is to make sure that you're putting away money automatically. You really want this to be easy on yourself. It's kind of like you build the habit, even if it's 25 or 100 bucks a month going into like a savings account or an investment account. Feel like you're just going to not miss that money and it'll really add up over time. And you can go, look, I, I started with 100 bucks. You up it up to a little bit more as you get a raise or as you pay off some bills, you can keep increasing it. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a good amount of money there. Mm-hmm. You really want to look at retirement as well. I know it seems like so far off for everyone. It's decades away and, you know, life is hard and you need Gucci shoes for your baby. <laughs> so, you know, we can't pay for retirement. If you're getting an employer match, if you do work at a company that's giving you free money, put at least, at least, at least the amount of money that they're giving you for the match, what you need to get in for the match. Most companies, you have to put in, say, 3% of your salary. You won't miss it. After taxes, you're not even going to notice your paycheck changing. And most likely, your company is going to give you 3% of your salary as well. So it's like getting a raise tax-free without having to work any any harder. So, you know, if you put in 3%, they put in 3%, all of a sudden, you've doubled your money overnight, and you didn't have to pay taxes on it. So it's almost like tripling your money overnight because you really wouldn't get you don't get that 3% (laughs) after taxes. So you really want to look at that. Um, You know, for education, you know, planning ahead, if you do want to send your kids to college or help them along the way or make those choices, you know, earlier. So you don't want to have to make the choice when your junior has applied for college and they're coming in and going, I want to go to Harvard and it's $75,000 a year and you've got $0 or you don't make Mm -hmm. (laughs) $75,000, you know. I don't think many of us have 75 just sitting around that we want to send send off. So you know, you've kind of prepared them along the way, or you can make choices on how to make sure that you know you have the money, or can you get financial aid along the way? Another really big piece is tax planning, and this is what people really forget. We just had tax day go yeah. go here, and most people really just kind of look at it and go, they deal with it when they're filing their taxes. And they do no other tax planning throughout the year. Not that you need to do a ton, especially if you're, you know, a W-2 employee, meaning you get like a paycheck. But if you're self-employed or a solopreneur or, you know, have your own business, there are so many ways you can be strategic and save so much money on taxes. You can reduce your tax bills in half if you really are strategic. So 
you know, that, that's not for everyone, but there are a lot of situations where you can keep a lot more of your money. Or um, I was just writing, you know, if you are on the lower income scale, if there's a tax credit for saving into like a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, you get a dollar for dollar tax credit for some of the money you put in, depending on your income. And that can be huge because you're like, well, I'd write, would you rather write a check to the government or mm-hmm. to yourself? And I, I leave that open. You guys can all answer that if you want to write a check to the government or yourself. But mm-hmm. I personally would rather write a check to myself. Right. <laughs> so I hope you all come to that answer pretty quickly. So that's a big piece of this puzzle. And just staying on top of it. I know we're all busy. We're all stressful. And if your parents, you know, raising kids, especially now that you're, you know, your daycare, your teacher, your parents, you're also probably working, your spouse. You know, all this stuff, we're all, we're all a little nuts right now. Mm-hmm. But if you can make stuff automatic and, you know, put some money away automatically, it's kind of like when you, we talked about the, the coin jar earlier. If you see that money coming out and you, you've taken it out of that jar, it won't get spent. And it's great if you can take some of that money out of the budget, out of the bank account, and put it somewhere where you won't touch it. Because it's very easy when you get that paycheck or you've got some money building up in your, in your savings account or your checking account to go... I can afford this. Yeah. <laughs> Let me spend this. There's so much money in my checking account. Forgetting that, you know, maybe it's the 30th of the month and rent's due tomorrow right. or the kids need braces or the car is due for a tune-up or an oil change or, mm-hmm. you know, car insurance is due. There's so many things that we forget about on a month-to-month basis. So if you can just set things up automatically, it will just make your life a lot easier. Yeah. And you won't miss the money, especially like into a savings account or an investment account. It really can add up quickly. I mean, you can you can really grow a very nice net worth on if you start early and invest early. So, David, so, you know, we talk about diversify, like diversify your your portfolio. Uh, what type of things do you tell your clients to do when they are investing in stocks? Yes. So kind of from a diversity standpoint, I'm a big fan of making your life easy and that, you know, I, I'll say it again, make your life less stressful. I mean, if we're, if we're home raising those kids and working, da, 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 you don't have time to track all these stocks and, and you don't really want to do it based on what your friends are doing or what's gone up. It's very tempting right now to go like, ooh, look at this stock. It just tripled in value since March. You know, if you mm-hmm. compound that out, you'll be a billionaire in three weeks. You know, it's just amazing. Um, or you, you can have your friends that are trading and there's, there's like some YouTubers now that are trading and they're having swings of like 50,000% in a day, which is just nuts. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not repeatable. <laughs> that's yeah. not what most of us can do. And, you know, if you're talking it's to your friends on the phone, like it's just, there's so much risk there. And I don't know, you heard there was a Robin Hood story of someone who managed to take their account negative $750,000 and then killed themselves. Oh. Um, I try not to be dramatic, but that's a pretty dramatic story. Like yeah. most of us think, oh, if I make a bad investment, if I buy company, stupid company, and it will go to zero, worst case. Mm-hmm. Well, if you doing some of these tradings with options and calls and puts and margin, all these things that you should try and avoid, you can go negative and you can owe lots of money. And I'm guessing if, if uh, the average person <laughs> was negative, owed $750,000, they would have to pay that off over a very long amount of time. And we're talking people that people having trouble saving. Well, if you're trying to pay $750,000 off, that's going to be, you know, decades probably to pay off. So keep it simple. I, I'm a big fan of like low cost index funds. You know, if you go to like Fidelity or State Street or Vanguard, they have a bunch of different index funds 
Mm-hmm. They're super cheap. You can trade for free at most places now and just set up an automatic contribution into there. You know, as if you're just starting out, you know, probably one index fund is enough as you start to grow and as your, your net worth bigger and you have bigger financial needs and goals, you will probably want to do more than one index fund. We can be more diversified than that, but it doesn't have to be crazy complicated to get started. And it's just, it's, Make it automatic. You can go every month on the 15th, I'm going to put in $100 or $200. Um, some places will let you even put in auto increases. I know through employer plans, a lot of times you can go, okay, well, I'm starting at 3%. Next year, it's going to go to 4%. Or, you know, even even if it's just a percentage of your income, hopefully we're getting raises. COVID mm-hmm. is putting a little pressure on some of our salaries. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, down the road, as you get more money, even if you're still putting the same percentage in, as you make more money, you'll be saving a little more money each month. And it just, you won't, you won't miss it. I know mm-hmm. that if you're not drowning in credit card debt, for those of you that are making enough money to, to squeak by, yeah. if you start this habit, you'll, you'll be amazed. In a few months, you'll be like, what? I set this up. I still feel like I have money. And you can keep increasing it over time. And, you know, when you really get serious or if you have some financial goals, like sending your kids to college or buying a house, you will need to be probably more aggressive saving, you know, saving a lot more for those of us that are listening here or people that are listening here that are close to retirement and just getting started, you'll have to save a lot more. But I think anyone listening here should really strive to save 10% at least of whatever their, their take-home pay is. Um, for people that uh, have LLCs, would you, well, okay, let me rephrase that. So now that we're all at home, wearing our face masks when we go out, um, yeah. <laughs> PSA, um, that a lot of people are starting up their own businesses, which LLCs sounds great, but you you also have to give a lot of money to start up that LLC. And then um, the new taxes, the new tax laws or whatever, you can't itemize like you you can you can't itemize. I've been itemizing forever, and this year they were like, "Nope, you don't need to itemize because of the new tax laws." So there's a big line here. I want to be very clear. There's a big difference between people who are salaried employees. Of, you know, you work at Microsoft or you work at Walmart or whatever whatever that job is. We'll go high and low here. Uh, if you get a salary, there's just not much you can itemize. There's probably like your charitable deductions and a mortgage. And, and if they're not above the standard deduction, which is like 24000 for a married couple. So most of us aren't giving 24000 to charity. I think if, if the average household is making 50000 they're definitely not giving 20 something to charity. So uh, hopefully they're not paying that on the mortgage and uh, things like that. So that's, that's the new tax plan. But if you're self-employed or have a side hustle, um, or own a small business, you do still have the ability to deduct pretty much, I'm going to say everything, but anything business related, there's a whole long list that we won't list here, but there's, there's tons of things, you know, like, I know we talked, we talked about internet and portion of your rent or portion of your mortgage. If you're working from home and have a home office, there are so many business owner deductions. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of people either having a side hustle or having a business uh, you know, I'm a business owner, so I might be a little biased here, but mm-hmm. there are just are so many ways that you can really control your destiny a lot more. I mean, it may not feel that way right now. You know, if you own a restaurant uh, with COVID and being shut down, you know, it may not feel like you're controlling your destiny, but you just as easily could have been working at a restaurant and uh, well, be out of work just as, just as easily. So mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm a big fan of that. And there are, that's really where you want to be doing a lot more tax planning. I think for the person who's getting a salary, it's, it's a little more straightforward right now. It's pretty much just kind of look back at what happened last year and, and fill in a, a, fuck, a few lines on your tax return. But for a business owner, the difference between that business making it and not making it can be the tax planning. You know, if you can find a way mm-hmm. to squeeze, squeeze out a little bit more profit by paying less taxes legally, it's important. And it's not always fun to do, you know, we're here we're talking bookkeeping and keeping track of your spending right. and where, where the money is spending. It doesn't even have to be, you know, how much should I spend? It can be where did I spend money? And there's things like, you know, QuickBooks or QuickEnd that just, you know, you, I put all my business expenses and I have my business clients put all their business expenses on a business credit card. It feeds into a software and it totals it up for the year. It's pretty clear and it's pretty easy. And the software does all the hard work and goes, oh, look, here's, here's all these business expenses. And guess what? You get a tax deduction for all of these business mm-hmm. expenses, which means you make more money, basically. Because mm-hmm. if you skip that, if you take that step and you're just like, oh, look, I, you know, I sold Girl Scout cookies or I sold cookies on the side of the street. I'm joking here. But, <laughs> you know, I sold $100,000 worth of cookies. Well, I'm pretty sure you had to buy the cookies and you paid this and that and this and that. And you had a website, you had internet. So all of a sudden you didn't really make $100,000. But there are a few people out there who don't get good advice and yeah. put down $100,000 and pay taxes on like $100,000 profit. Right. <laughs> when they probably really made thirty. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden it really can change the dynamic of your business. So for people that are going into business or have a small business, you know, these PPP loans, there's there's uh, a lot of controversy around it because they're talking about how people that are really, really rich um, are got PPP loans as well, um, but they were meant for small business owners. Can you, are you able to speak to that in regards to a, a person with, a company, a small business, they still have to pay back the PPP loans. Like what's there are, there's going to be PPP loan forgiveness. So if you, there's a set of rules that I don't think would be appropriate for me to try and outline because one, they keep changing (laughs) the the forgiveness rules. But um, I have written an article on Forbes. I can send you about how to get them, um, how to get them forgiven. Mm -hmm. So, the, the goal here is, is for the business owners listening, if you've taken one of these loans or are thinking of getting one, the goal would be to follow the rules so that you can have it forgiven. Because, you know, while it's still great to keep your business and get a loan, um, free money is still way better than a loan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are a few things with, with how many jobs you saved or how much payroll you're able to run or the, there's certain expenses that they'll let you use to help offset um, paying back mm-hmm. the PPP loan. Um, with the way it was structured and with the way the amounts that people were get were loaned, it really was based on like the amount of employees and the payroll, more importantly, the amount of payroll that they had. Um, so, you know, if you have a thousand employees, it's a lot easier to have a much bigger payroll mm-hmm. where most small businesses are, you know, one, two, or a few people, you know, you work from home, especially if we're talking people working from home, it's, it's probably them and maybe, you know, one other person or a contractor here or there. It's just not that much payroll. So it, it did skew towards some of the bigger companies, which I think is where some of the controversy comes. But beyond that, you know, do it, look out for yourself, I guess. And the rules, are, uh, at least for our conversation here, the rules are what they are. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you want to, I, I, I would say there's no shame in trying to get one of these loans if you do have a business and you're able to, you know, try and keep it open here. And then for sure, if you did get one of these loans and you qualify to have some of it forgiven, there is absolutely no shame here. I know some people are trying to call it like, you know, 
I, I won't try and say this in the negative stuff people are saying, but, you know, if these are the rules and you follow the rules and you kept your business open and that's how you get it forgiven, if you follow the rules, you should have your loan forgiven. That's my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Um, that's the rules. <laughs> so, yes. you know, follow the rules. Don't let someone else uh, tell you. But there, it is crazy. There are some very large businesses that you would think sh- wouldn't this, this wouldn't apply to that are getting money. So I, I do hear the critics there. Yeah. Well, David, you supplied a wealth of information, not to be corny, but you have. Yeah. And um, thank you. I'm you, here to help. <laughs> before you go, I know I know you you provided all, you know, certain amount of facts that we need to go by and what we can do and tips. Do you have any overall tips that you would want to leave our listeners with? You know, I think the biggest thing to is just don't ignore your finances. I know it's not fun, but you're just putting a little extra effort in at the beginning and not ignoring. If you have debt, find a way to pay off that, that credit card debt. If you are saving, look at a way to just try and increase your savings. And I think that just for anyone here, the absolute easiest way to save is I'm a huge fan of just automatic contributions. I mean, when I was 22 and graduated college, a friend sat me down and I started putting $25 a month into my Roth IRA before I had a job. I mean, wow. it's, it, you know, it's not, it, it seems funny. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. It's $300 a year. But at the time, it was like, oh, my God, I'll never be like, what am I? What? I said $300. It's all I can think about. Yeah. But then, you know, I got a job and then it was nothing. And then I increased it and then I maxed it out. And now I, I make too much money to have a Roth IRA. So, you know, I wish I put more in when I was 22 or in, and in college. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get started and either you'll, you'll always be better off by getting started and taking control of it. Even if you're coming up on retirement, even if you're starting late there's still room to improve your finances. If someone has a portfolio, let's say you're in your 30s, what would you say that is a good portfolio for like investments? Like how much money do you think should be in there to say, oh, that person is doing well? Yeah, I mean, in your 30s, you're probably, you're ideally wanting to be saved close to, you know, um, like one to times your salary, give or take. So, you know, it, it's not a, it's not an athlete dollar amount. So, you know, again, if we were that pro athlete and you just made $150 million in your career mm-hmm. and you have a million dollars in your account, probably not that impressive. If you're the person that's making, you know, doing great and, you know, making like six figures and you saved up and you're making, you know, you've got 150000 that might be a much bigger, you know, much bigger tap on your shoulder that you're doing a great job than, you know, that pro athlete that's, probably broke for a pro athlete, maybe a different broke than the rest of us. Right. <laughs> you, know, like, yeah. you know, I think there was some, uh, Robert De Niro just had something come up, like he couldn't live on $7 million a year is what I just saw on the internet. And, you know, I don't know, I haven't verified this, but, you know, it's like, okay, I think most of us <laughs> could live on $7 million a year, but, you know, it's all relative. Yeah, I'm it's sure all he relative. was making it a lot more. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh. Well, thank you so much, David Ray, president, founder of DRM Wealth Management. Uh, David, how can we find out more about you and uh, contact you? Yeah, absolutely. So my blog is financialplannerla.com. So that's a great way to see some of my writing. Or uh, my website is David Ray, that's E-A-V-I-D-R-A-E-F-P, like financialplanning.com. And there's all my info there. And 
what it takes to become a client or what it takes to just learn more about your finances. Awesome. Thank you, King David. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I am Laferne Cusack. Thank you so much for joining me. This is 710 ESPN. You've been listening to The Experience with Laferne Cusack. Getting the residents of Los Angeles, Orange County, and all of Southern California closer to their community. It's The Experience with Laferne Cusack on 710 ESPN.